I can still, I can still feel the weight in my arms. Small, but so heavy. We're free. You have to stop. So I could have carried him. I should have carried him. Who are we? If we can't protect them. You built a time machine? What about the warrior? The Statue of Liberty is kaput. It's concerning. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Welcome, welcome to Cine Siblings Podcast. The podcast where two brothers have an in-depth discussion about film. I'm Ian. And I'm James. And Jamie... What are we talking about today? We're going to be looking at the film A Quiet Place, 2018. John Krasinski directs and stars with Emily Blunt and Millicent Simmons. This movie is actually a lot shorter than I thought it was, at a, clocking in at an hour and a half. Yeah, on rewatching it um, this weekend. Yeah, same. With, uh, Gets right into it. Well, yeah, it does. And I <laughs> watched it with the kids and actually didn't have to like really interrupt it too much. So, um, with yeah. Kids, plural? My two-year-old was in the room. She was not paying attention. She was drawing and okay. eating and Being other things. She was not her paying attention. Self. Um, so this yes. movie sits at a amazing 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, yeah. You know that. There's some controversy about what that means. That just means 96% of critics gave it a positive rating. Yeah. That doesn't mean that it's 96 out of 100 good. No, but it's, I think it is a, it's well deserving of that. Um, so I remember watching this in the theaters. So it's a 2018 film, so it's not that long ago. Um, but I was on a date with my wife, Sarah, while we were on vacation with her family. And we went um, to see it just, uh, <laughs> really, I think just after um, our daughter was was born, um, kind of probably one, probably our first date after um, just a couple months um, after she was born. And so like first viewing was like incredibly intense. And we were watching in a theater without very many people at all. Nice. So it's like it's dead silent. Um and I remember, and I remember there was a lot of hand holding, and it was like intense gripping, not like romantic uh, <laughs> hand holding at all. And so, um, but it, it's even so, it's not the kind of horror film that I don't like, where there's just a lot of gore and scares that aren't really there for any kind of emotional purposes, just there to make you feel scared for a long time. And that's that's really not what this was. Um, it it's. Uh, I mean, 
really, I, I tend to dislike more horror films than I'd like. Um, but there's, there's still plenty that I do enjoy. Um, but this is one that, that I don't think I just like, I, I really do love, um, mainly because maybe it's, maybe it's partly because it's a monster movie and maybe it's part because there's, it's got a lot of, um, wholesome thematic elements and likable characters. I think that's one thing that about a lot of film and TV that I have some trouble with is that there, there are characters, they might be realistic, but there's like a whole cast of characters and very few of them are likable. But anyway, Ian, what sticks out about this film to you? Dude, my theater experience was the opposite. And me and my wife were very stoked to see this. John Krasinski is her man crush. And Emily Blunt, they're married in real life. We were like, oh, and he's directing. This is going to be awesome. We go into the theater and it's packed. And we should have known better. And uh, people laughed the entire movie. They laughed at serious parts that were, I mean, not meant to be laughed at. They were like heartbreaking parts and people were laughing and talking the entire time. And I was just, it wasn't until it came out on digital Blu-ray, whatever it is now that we got it, rented it and wanted to rewatch it. And she wanted to watch it with some friends. I was like, nope, I'll watch it by myself. I'll watch it with you because you don't talk during movies. Uh, but yeah. yeah, so I learned my lesson on going to see movies with uh, on like opening weekends, especially and, horror and, movies, man. Well, uh, you, people ain't got no cooth. When, when we did our our horror movie draft, you mentioned um, uh, M Night Shyamalan's The Happening, and oh and that God. that really burned me on Shyamalan. But w- I had such a bad experience in the theater. Um, where people from the opening credits to the end were making fun of it. And I was like, I don't know if I just hate this movie or if, and like, is it really that bad? Cause I really don't like it. Or is it just because I had a bad experience at the theater? Spoiler. It's really that bad. Yeah. Looking back, it, it is that, but it's it just was, Mark it Wahlberg a- going, Hey, what's that? Hey, I'm Mark Wahlberg. Hey. All right. No, enough Mark Wahlberg. Um, back to a quiet place. Um, do you have any more thoughts before we hit that cold open? That is so Jesus. Sorry, but yes, it's ter- it's terrifying. Uh, and, but it starts off, and you're I'm in. Like I love the post apocalyptic genre in itself, and uh, this is the second post apocalyptic movie we're doing. It's the second movie we're, we're doing, <laughs> and they're both post apocalyptic. Uh, that should tell you something right there. Um. This this one was my pick, and so we we really we have the film opens with this ominous ambient music, and we start day eighty nine. That's three months. So right, we know that this is an end medius rest opening. Um, we're not really starting at the beginning of the event, whatever it is, because we don't really know. Yeah. We don't really get a full view. Uh, at any point, but we're in the and middle. And I love being thrown into this dystopian future. And you're you're like, don't know, have any idea what's happened. I mean, I guess if you watch the trailers, you know. But like, you have some, yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's it's fairly common with post apocalyptic films. It's like we we see with the zombie genre, like we talked about with Twenty Eight Days Later, 
we get the Rip Van Winkle effect where he goes to sleep and then he wakes up 28 days later and you're like a month into this post-apocalyptic world at least. Um, and so it, it, it's this does kind of work like a prologue, but it's a good cold open, um, no title screen yet. And so we see uh, Reagan Abbott and we're really not given the characters' names other than in uh, subtitles. The, the, well, and, and barely in that, but it's no, more not like the, the same time language subtitles in the, the subtitles or the close captioning for the movie. Oh, right, right, right. Lee does this. And yeah. And and for most of my notes, I, I say daughter, the daughter. I, I do say Reagan and, and the kid, the boy's name. Marcus. I almost wish they didn't give them names. Like if you have you read The Road where they just like boy and oh, right. man or you know, woman. Right. And, and that's, but this, this, the girl, the daughter is played by Millicent Simmons and, and she's in this ransacked abandoned store. We get a close up of her hearing aid and it's kind of set up for later. Not a hearing aid. It is uh, a cochlear implant. Okay. So, so this is different. the exterior piece. Yeah. Well, it's the whole thing is a cochlear implant, cochlear, cochlear, something implant. It's not actually a hearing aid. It's a, a it detects vibrations that the brain perceives as sound. Okay. So it's not exactly a hearing aid and i think that is one of the reasons why him trying to amplify later on we'll get into it but thought that was a a a note to to mention that it's not a hearing aid i do i do i do want to get it right um but this is this is the setup for later we see this and that also lets us know that that she is hearing impaired or or deaf and uh so we see her brothers her littlest brother Bo played by Kate Woodward and Marcus by uh, his, her not older brother, but the older of, of the two younger brothers, and um, Noah Jupe and right. And he's sitting and he's he, sick. He doesn't look well. No. And we have Evelyn Abbott, who's played by Emily Blunt, who here to four is probably just going to be referred to as mom. Yeah, um, mom, mother. Yes. And uh, so they, they look like they're searching for medical supplies. And so we see this pressing need because um, Marcus uh, appears to be ill. But immediately, though, no, we, 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 we see something is off. But, um, and of course, it's a, a post-apocalyptic film. But as they're looking through the store, mom is carefully and quietly picking from among these prescription bottles. It's like she's extra careful about it. And this is very subtle acting. And I think um, it, it really tells us or shows us more. And that's one of the things about this movie. This movie is entirely show, don't tell. <laughs> I know. But the uh, problem the, the is... The amount of dialogue is, is so sparse. Right. But the problem, spoken dialogue. There's a lot yes. of sign, signing. Not a lot, even for that. Well, sure. But this movie is so detail-oriented, and I think they overlooked a few glaring plot hole details that I'll discuss later. But I, I do like the attention to detail in this in this uh, opening sequence. I I think that um, I, I again there is a lot of subtlety in this film, and it doesn't do it does a, a very little amount of hand holding. Um, but this film is also really only good if you're literate, uh, like if you can't read yet, or or if you have trouble reading fast, it's going to be an issue for you. Was it an issue for your eight year old? Um, no, he's he's a really quite. Well, I know fast he's good at reader. reading, but like, he's, will he read on the television screens? Uh, yeah, yeah, he he doesn't care for subtitles, but 
he kind of understands. And and again, the even the the unspoken dialogue with the ASL, the American Sign Language, is pretty sparse. Um, so it's enough for him to to keep up with. But I, I mean. I think that's actually a really cool thing too, which um, I think was brought up with the film is that having a deaf actress play this, this major, major role um, kind of was, was really good for the deaf community. And um, it's also really cool to see um, ASL being a survivalist uh, sort of skill yeah it, it's it's really kind of cool to see it portrayed that way right as a really as a really cool thing so um and you know it's one of those things of like this is a, a time where we talk about you know people who are underrepresented getting some deserved representation and i think the the deaf community is one of those underserved populations that we don't really talk about because it's it's a different sort of of issue um with that so um we kid finds a toy well right we have um Bo and before he really finds a toy he's drawing a rocket or he sees a, a, right. a rocket um that's been drawn there and he's kind of they're signing over it and the little boy's talking about that's how we escape and I mean, it's, it's a bit ominous because we, we know what kind of movie we're watching. We know this is kind of a post-apocalyptic sort of thing, but we, we also know, um, that, that the, even the smallest child understands and fears what's happening. And so that, that kind of puts it into some perspective. Um, they, we, know that they're taking extra care to be quiet and we know that they're desiring to escape. And that's basically all we know. And then we do cut to Bo, the, the youngest boy, uh, kind of reaching for his toy space shuttle and then knocking it off the shelf. The daughter catches it and in comes dad. Ray dad catches it. it. No, Reagan catches it. Oh, all right. Um, and dad comes up in the background of the, of the shot in the doorway is this kind of out of the light figure. Um, and I think that there's something to this where, um, and and I'll probably I want to get into it more as we go on, but in some ways, the the father figure kind of represents God in some fashion, like a God the Father sort of figure. It's a it's it's a li- maybe a little bit of a stretch, but hear me out on on when we when we go through because I don't know there are some things in there that make me go, Hmm. And some things kind of also make me go, okay, well maybe not. So it's, it's one of those things of it does, it's not heavy handed with it. So dad or Lee Abbott is played by Jim Halpert. I mean, John Krasinski. (laughs) And we, we see kind of what he's, he's managed to scavenge on his own. Um, the, the whole family comes together, ready to head home before dark, and we see Bo approach with the space shuttle he's found, and the entire family freezes with fear. But Dad, and I think um, he just kind of slowly takes charge and takes the toy and removes the batteries and sets it aside, both the batteries and the toy, and then he takes the time to explain to Bo, who's like four or five, I, I think it's probably four. Too loud. Yeah, it's too loud, and the family begins to to file out, and we see a newspaper headline blowing in the wind. It's sound. That's what it reads. 
And so it's again do, doing this this showing of clues so we can kind of piece together um, things and kind of like, okay, well that confirms what we just knew. Sometimes they kind of hit it a little bit harder so that you know if you didn't catch it the first time, it's okay. We're gonna explain it in a in a subtle way. Um, and so we cut back to Reagan who gives the shuttle back to Bo, but he but not the batteries. But of course she leaves and then the little boy takes the batteries and follows the family. This is a problem to me. Why? And this is my wife mentioned it too. Why is the youngest in the back? Like this is, this is one of those glaring issues I think I have with the movie and it's set up, which I mean, this don't get me wrong. This occult open is awesome, but why is the little kid in the back? Why is he, and I get it, they're filing out one by one separate to kind of keep from running into each other and making noise, but why Why is he in the back? The youngest should be between the two parents, I feel like. Um, and I think that's that's true, and yet that's I think that that plays a role into the the guilt that we see and the the guilt and the blame that But they're so careful about everything else but not this. I mean they they have sand pathways. Also, why are they barefoot? They don't wear to wear shoes because they make noise. I get that and you don't want sand in your shoes. That's the worst. But wear socks. They're in winter clothes but they're barefoot. This, this could lead to all kind of illnesses that cause noise, sneezing, coughing. This is another issue I have with the movie. They're barefoot the whole time, and it's cold. It's fall, and you don't... They're get, in winter clothes. They're wearing beanies and coats. You don't, one, you don't get, you don't actually catch cold by having your feet exposed. That's 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 an old wives' tale. All right, whatever. But you're, you're calling it a plot hole, and it's not really a plot hole. And the thing is, is that... But why not wear socks? One, you can't. It also gives you a layer of protection against the, the that's, ground. That's fine, but you also can't replace socks readily. But because they have to scavenge for everything, so you wear out the bottom of the socks. Wait, nothing quieter than stealing socks. I'm sorry. I, it's just a little nitpick. Anyway, it's go on. quite a nitpick. Um, all right. Anyway, we get this shot of birds overhead, and we kind of, they might be crows, which might foreshadow the death. Um, Music gets a little more prominent here and still very quiet, understated. Uh, the family comes to this bridge and we'll see this bridge again. Um, so bridge is in, this is filmed, this bridge is in New York. Okay. Just thought I'd mention that. In case you want to go visit. Visit the Quiet Place Bridge? Yeah. Why not? People like doing that kind of thing. Cool. All right. So we get this, the... The music begins to change to the foreboding ambient tones uh, we heard at the, the very beginning. And Reagan's kind of smiling slightly. The daughter, she's just kind of walking. And then we hear the electronic sounds of the cheap toy and everybody stops. Um, and the daughter doesn't realize it. Right. She doesn't realize it at first, but she realizes everybody in front of her stopped. The realization and the fear is so good here. Um, um, and then when we hear it from her perspective where she can't hear anything, mm -hmm. it's, you're like, oh, this is awesome. Like it go, the film goes silent. It's very faint, muffled sounds. And then mm -hmm. she turns and sees what's, what's had the lights flashing. It's uh, right. 
your heart, I mean, you tense up. You're like, oh, no. Right. And dad jumps to action immediately. Yeah. Sprint, full sprint. Drops Marcus, who he's carrying, the older boy um, who's sick. And he's sprinting to Bo, who's done exactly what the audience already knew he would. We're primed for it. It's the dramatic irony of we know something that everybody else doesn't. Right. Um, mom is frozen with fear, complete and utter dread and despair. Chad's, She's so good. They both are here. The dad's sprinting. The music's rising. Mom falls to her knees, and we see the monster for the first time. It's racing toward the sound. So is dad. But the monster beats in there, and with one horrible stroke of some giant scythe-like arm, little Bo is killed mere feet away from his father and the rest of his family. So this is the first time I watch it. This is a hard scene for me to watch any time. Um, yeah, but it's not so absolutely. horrible that I that it, it, it limits the rewatchability. Yeah, but I mean, it's heart wrenching. Oh, I, I cried. Oh, I cried. Yeah, I cried. I cried. Too. Oh, I couldn't. I Guess what? Talking. My theater laughed. Are you kidding me? Some people, if if you're that kind of person, just don't go see it at a theater. Right, you ruin, ruin it for everybody, everybody else. Um, this is this is heart wrenching. I cried yesterday. Um, but I mean, cut to black, right. cold open day four seventy two. Big yeah. jump. We're almost yeah. It's almost a year later. Mm-hmm. Um, not not a full year, but. You know, yeah. So we get footprints in the sand and Reagan lying down on what seems to be the beach, and you're kind of like, "Wait, what's going on?" They moved. It's a cornfield. Um, they've just got sand everywhere. So cornfield. Do you? I mean, planting corn, I'm sure, is not the quietest thing. You think they just kind of found this farm and? No, I think this farm is. They, I think they were farmers. I think this was, or or they've converted their whole house. Because when we see later, their house is there with all their photos, well, family photos bring, and stuff. Yeah, I guess they could bring them. But... Their photos are on the wall. Like, okay, okay. Like, I don't, I don't see that. But they don't usually use most of the rooms up in the house. Because the mom goes up there to visit Bo's room later. So, no, I think this is, like, their place. Their farm. Well, their I farm. guess we'll see more of their backstory in the second one. I think we're going to get more of what happened mm-hmm. um, and what they were doing during that so i sure hope so because i want to see john krasinski as dad again yeah he's definitely a <laughs> great dad figure so in this film um yeah so we this is like kind of a lot of establishing the setting um with this and we see this uh sweet scene where you know the mom and the daughter kind of come together to go do some chores and it fades into this uh cctv control room that dad is set up and like there's newspapers and whiteboards that give the audience some sense of what they're up against they the whiteboards like a creature and they have survived so these are the two things that they have to to fight against survival and the creatures it's it's classic post-apocalyptic sort of thing right um we learned that and we learned some things about the creatures that they're blind they attack sound it has armor and that there are three confirmed in the area um, and to survive, they right, they need medical supplies and soundproofing. So, Food does not seem to be an issue, and so that's pretty pretty cool because um, that's like one of the normal issues with uh, um, post apocalyptic sort of stuff. And and you know they they go 
eventually people get bored with that. So they kind of make you like, oh, well, they don't have to find food anymore. They're good at that. I made it's a note like, of this too. Yeah. Uh, one of the headlines in the newspaper, I don't know if it's in this scene or a later scene where he's working on the her implants, uh, but the newspaper clipping reads, Meteor hits Mexico with the force of a nuke. Oh, so maybe see. that's where they came from. And I was hitting pause and I missed that. Yeah, I, missed I don't know one. if it's in this scene, but mm -hmm. it might be in the one of the other ones. Well, I was hitting pause more than just this scene. But yeah, yeah, sure. But the, I thought that was maybe the origin, like a little nod towards maybe that they came right. from some sort of meteor and they are extraterrestrial monsters. That makes sense. I mean, you love your alien movies. You right. have several of them on your uh, you, three <laughs> on your top five draft yeah. of horror movies. If right. this is indeed an alien movie. Yeah, well, it has that feel that they are not of this world. Right. Um, for sure. And so, and the, and the final thing the board asks is, what is the weakness? And the and weakness is, is really highlighted there. So it kind of gives us a clue of, yeah, we're going to be... Plan. It's a plant. We're going to need it, it's priming the audience to be looking for the weakness. And that's that's really the one of the things we always have about uh, monster movies. And so um, dad picks up some of his handwritten notes. We see that they have a radio um, that, that broadcast radio and they're broadcasting. He's broadcasting some Morse code SOS um, systematically through frequencies. But and we see that no luck. There's nobody's responding. Um and really, this right here, and the, it's kind of reinforced through the actions of the rest of the movie, this is setting up um, Lee Abbott as kind of this archetypal good father figure. And, you know, this is part of it. Part of this, though, this room where he can see everything and he is take, he's in charge of everything to help them survive and to beat the monster. That's kind of like this, and maybe it's not a, a a real God the Father sort of figure, but it's got overtones of of there's there's something to it, but it's certainly a good father archetype. Well, I think um, it's a classic just male gender role that he puts it all on himself to take care of all this, and uh, I think we find out here. He, there's like a lighting of the perimeter with all the lights. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of intercut with uh, mom, Evelyn uh, Abbott, decorating for their nursery. Right. So we got. Uh, so we find out she's pregnant. Yeah. We see what do you think about this? Do you think it's. Was it on accident they got pregnant? Seems like a terrible time to get pregnant. Or do you think that they have this void from the death of their child that they just kind of went for it that's a really good question and i think um you know one of the things you kind of have to bring up in the post-apocalyptic world that i i feel like doesn't get brought up often enough is the the continuation of the family and this whole movie is about family and and how and, and parental roles and how you raise children right but, but, and that's that's integral to to being human. But you have two kids. You have a boy and you have a girl already. Having a child almost jeopardizes them. You're already two healthy kids. I mean, babies cry, and if these things attack sound, then this is a problem. 
Well, they know it's a problem, I, and that's why they're working on soundproofing. They're working on adapting so, so that they can continue. That's not a long-term solution to this problem. Well, you figure that's true. He knows that. And I think this control room, this war room, so to speak, suggests that he knows it's it's a it's not a that's not a solution, but it, it is it is one of those things that he's trying to find their weakness. Yeah. He's trying to make their lives better, but they are also not stopping their lives due to these monsters. Okay, so we have we cut back to, to dad. He's on top of the grain silo and he's going through photos and mementos of the, the dead youngest son. We cut back to mom with the oxygen tank and the stuffed animals. And this is really quite frightening is because we, they kind of pull back and we see the, the crib has a lid and it looks a bit like a coffin. Yeah. Um, and we and the kids are helping soundproof, and we cut back to Dad who lights a fire and a beacon. Is it though, or it, did he just light the mementos on fire? I I don't know, but we see this scene is very reminiscent of uh, the beacons of Gondor. <laughs> the beacons are lit. Uh, but I think no, but like because he lights something, and then we see the lights. All these other fires in the distance, and we know that he is. Not, they're not the only family that's is alive, right? Um, um, I think that it kind of lets them know that everybody's still there. Everybody, you know, right? Everybody's doing all right. Um, if if he is burning the the mementos, that that's got to have some significance to to his character. Um, what do you what do you I make of it? I didn't catch it. You didn't catch it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know that he we know that they are dealing with the death of their their son still, um, and and brother. I mean, um, they're going to deal with it the rest of their lives, right? But you know, they're they're in this this state of mourning where, um, and I kind of like it better than a lot of other films in the genre where it's like, okay, yeah, it sucked that person died. All right, move along. You know, it's like you just expect everybody to move along because they have to survive. Mm-hmm. But this, because they they are surviving, they they have the benefit of get of dwelling on death a little bit more, and we get that more human experience. And in some ways, it's more relatable to us on the outside, um, and so we can focus on not less survival aspect or like common survival aspect of, of finding food and water, but more of the, well, how we, how would we deal with being quiet all the time? Um, that sort of thing. Um, so continuing with, with the, the next scene, um, they're preparing dinner, fresh steamed fish. Mom tells, uh, the daughter to go get dad and she's reluctant. And then we see dad washing his face. He seems like he's having a pretty rough day. Um, and the daughter father relationships seems strained. strained you yeah. Know. Um, I don't know at this point in the film, you don't really know if it's, he blames her, she blames him. They blame themselves, something like that. But I think we'll, it's definitely touched on in the film. And, but I think a lot of this goes to the fact of 
you know, talking about your issues with each other is a real helpful thing. And communication is, is really key to dealing with interpersonal relationships. And they can't quite do that. You know, and, and they and they have a better opportunity than most because they know sign. But if you can't sure. do that. Um, I mean, you, you're just going to write it out on a piece of paper. Yeah, but that, that doesn't have the same sort of immediacy in, in communication. But anyway. Try erase boards. Yeah, I guess Shove so. it in your face. All right, erase. <clears throat> Shove you this sentence in your face. True. Um, we have the dinner scene. Still praying, which I thought. Mm-hmm. Most families would lose faith in this sort of setting. I don't. I don't know that. I think. I think some find solace and faith in these kinds of situations. So, I think. I think it just depends on on your outlook. And, sure. Um, you know, a lot of times you, how do you deal with with it? Is I mean that's that's part of it, and I think that's one thing I, I appreciate about the film is that they. This family, I mean, I'm, I'm religious, and you know, they have hope. They don't fall into this common thing of uh, hopelessness. And, and, yeah, well, despair. Um, Aren't those the same thing? They are, <laughs> but there's a special word for it, and we're gonna use it. Um, and and that, well, I mean, that's that was, and maybe because I'm such a Tolkien fanboy, um, and one of his strongest themes is. Hope and one of your and one of the greatest sins is despair, and True. I, I, I see that here. And and you know we have this. Um, I like that they're I, eating on lettuce leaves instead of plates, right? Because you know with plates having the propensity to make too much noise. Um, everyone's served. Uh, they all hold hands in prayer, and we see you know the mom uh, kind of stroking that uh, her. I think it's her son's hand. We we've definitely gotten the feeling here that the mom is is the more nurturing right uh, of of the bunch, and the dad is is the security, 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 keep everybody safe. That is my job, sort of we'll, thing. We'll get into the gender roles in a bit. Uh, I think this very this movie has clear cut gender roles until mm-hmm. the end. Um, and so I, I really like dinner scenes. I think it tells you a lot, dude. Uh, dinner scenes are yeah. There's a dinner scene in the movie Hereditary, which is in my top five draft for horror movies. And it is the most intense scene in the entire film. There's nothing like supernatural going on. It's just the same kind of thing. And this movie is where they're dealing with the death of their daughter. And it's so it's different. It's right. way different. Well, we also had the two dinner scenes in 28, 28 Days, Days Later, Later, which we yeah. talked about. Two dinner scenes? Uh, well, it's not really a dinner scene, but it's it's a it's a kind of the breaking of bread scene um, where they, I mean, where the they share the creme de menthe. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and they, they kind of make, establish their party. Um, but but here it's, uh, we see that they're a real family. Um and like we we get that they they there's some strain, but they are a family unit, um, <laughs> whether they like it or not. Um, and and that, now we, the kids are playing Monopoly, and that too says something because it ain't not, and that that should give everybody a heads up because we already have established that this movie is all about a, a like a kind of a traditional family, and you know how Monopoly ends in traditional families. 
chaos. Chaos. <laughs> Betrayal. <laughs> Somebody kicks the board. And um, um I, I think it's they got rid humor. of it nice. They got rid of all the loud pieces, we're replaced them with quiet, quilted, looks like knitted pieces, little cotton balls or right, little pom-poms. Uh and uh she knocks over a lantern. And it makes so much noise. Well, this whole this whole scene is so silent. We don't hear the dice roll because it's rolled on to a blanket. We don't right. we don't hear the monopoly pieces move across the board because it's so quiet. Um, because they're quiet pieces now, not the little clacking metal pieces or plastic pieces. And when she knocks it over, it's a jump scare. Yeah, there's there's a lot of jump scares. And and one of the things I read, it was a you know, it was from like a user review, not a, not a professional critic. And they were like, Oh, too many cheap jump scares, blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of like, yeah, but when in reality, if everything is super quiet around you all the time, exactly. And that's, that's another movie we just talked about in 28 days later, the dudes watching home videos and then these things come blasting through the thing. And it's so much louder than everything else that you're like, Ugh! right. And you but gasp. I, but I think though, if you are so afraid of noise in general, anything that makes a noise is going to give you a jump scare. Like it really kind of puts you in the 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 reality of the film in that in that way. Like why are they using lantern like lanterns with real fire? I mean, the whole house is lit up with electricity. Um, partly because they're they are down in the more soundproofy area. But like they're, they're still, in when, the, so. when you see the parents cuts them looking at them, there's, they're like electric lights around. Them. I don't know. seems just a little odd to have the kerosene or the oil lamps and not a more practical nowadays, like electric led lamp, lamp that lasts uh, for alpha. Well, one, it lasts forever. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think this is just to, but the fire, the a, fire doesn't actually become a plot point, so it really doesn't bother me because it lights a small fire and Dad puts out the fire immediately, and of course um, everybody looks terrified. But Mom's in the background, holding her belly, guarding that unborn baby. Um, you know, everyone's listening, and then they hear something, and the bang, and this ominous background music comes. It's pretty in. tense. Pretty tense scene. Dad looks out the window. Reagan looks out the window. They're looking. It's a couple of damn raccoons, and how are they still around? That does listen. Can, this is the, the jumpy, jumpy scare misdirect into oh, it wasn't what you thought it was. It's super tropey. I don't like it here. If it, especially because now we get to cut to the raccoons walking down the sand and making a little noise, and it just gets yeeted into oblivion into this bloody mess. I'm like, I didn't like that scene. However, however. I don't mind the fact of a false jump scare because if you are terrified of making sound, anything that makes sound is going to scare you. You are going to have a bunch of false scares, but my probably thing more, is, probably more than they portray in the film. My thing is, I don't like it here because they did make a lot of noise, and then the raccoons made a lot of noise, and these things. They show us that these things are close by. Right. But they're not going to the actual source of the sound. They're just... I, they're I go, see they that hit, as They an hit issue. A, one of the raccoons that is just going... Right. I see that as an issue. Um, but there is... 
it's not like the raccoons get away. It's just that we don't know how close those things are. And we do know later that it does take a little bit of time for them to get there. They run. They don't. They're not yeah. doing anything else that we can tell. Um, so, right, we, we do see the string lights outside, and then the creature comes up and claws the raccoons to oblivion. Um, and then this is the scene you mentioned before where we have the dad working on the earpiece uh, for the cochlear implant for uh, Reagan. Uh, so that's in his control room, and Mom comes down. Is that what we're calling it, the control room? That's what I'm calling it. It's Well, I mean, there's like <laughs> – it's their basement um, in, the, in the main house. Yeah. Um, not where they're staying, which we don't learn until later. It like learning figuring out the layout is, is a little bit of yeah. It's a little confusing at There's first. There's like a bunch of different houses. It's kinda. like it's like they converted like the barn or something to to where they actually stay. For it's uh, not that important, and it doesn't need. You, I mean, this movie it's no. all about show don't tell. So they, right, they don't they don't they don't handhold with that kind yeah. of thing. Um, you know, mom comes down, hugs dad as he's the finishing his thing. So lovable, right? The chemistry is obvious. I mean, they're married in real life happily. Uh, yeah, it's it certainly seems like it. this is a very sweet interaction. Lots of subtext and looks, and then they they do you know some a little bit of sign, but like you don't they don't even need it. No, and you can um, read it on their faces, right? And you know they slow dance with uh, their headphones on to Neil Young's Harvest Moon. Yeah, I, I like when films do this. You're obviously from, uh, I almost called him Jim, uh, from John Krasinski's character's perspective, where he doesn't hear the music, but when she puts that headphone into his ear, we now hear the music, and it's takes over the scene. Right. Which this movie doesn't have much organic music inside the film because mm -hmm. obviously music's a problem. To, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I love, uh, I think this scene is awesome. Right. And I, one of the reasons I love this scene is it, one of the things this movie does so well is without words or without very many words, let's say we get a feel for a real, a very real feeling family. And of course, you know, we know that they're really um, married. So like, this is a real husband and wife, but it's, they're still acting, you know, and this is, it's just really good. You know, that the, the, that mom and dad love each other. And really like you in some ways feel like, oh. well, this is my mom and dad. I really, I really, I want. I'd be their kid if I was stuck in this whole hell it's not that world. They just love each other. Um, I mean, they lost a child, and you can tell by the way, just the way they look at each other, that they still have la passion. Like they have the they're they're passionate lovers still. Right. So I think I think that's you know you you mentioned like it was was the baby an accident? Was this trying to replace a void? I think the the, the a moment the, of passion. Well, I think that the fact of the matter is, is that they love each other and they have had children together already and they love those children and they want to keep having children. And oh. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a certain level of passion there, but there's, there's also a level of, of, you know, you, you fall in love with your spouse again, uh, when you see them mothering or fathering their kids, yeah. your, your kids, you know? So there's, I think there's a lot of, of things like that. And I think that's a nice open question to have of how this happened rather than something you're going to get answered. 
and I think he calls her beautiful. And she does this mm-hmm. cute little thing where she puffs up her cheeks and like imitates like she feels fat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's so cute when she does that. Well, I know. And I, I, I'm like, going, oh, this is so real. Like, right. But you can't, can't she say wouldn't it. say it. So she just acts it out uh, non verbally, which is, I thought was a nice touch. And then we fade to black. And he's now pouring more sand on the path. Right. So this is day 473. So it's the next day. Um, I don't yeah. think we really need to just the day count, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, it not, we don't, we don't need it here. I don't think, but it's, it, it is what it is. Um, and mom's taking her blood pressure. We mm-hmm. see on the calendar that she's like just a beyond two weeks away from her due date. Right. Um, uh, I wanted to touch on that. And she uses a stethoscope, find the baby's heartbeat and um, this is like, and it's just like that heartbeat really takes the forefront of the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is something that's really interesting um, and and really highlights the, you know, the importance of this baby um, in so many, in so many ways. Um, so we... Do you have something you want yeah, to add? Yeah, so day 473, that's yeah. where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this day is October 3rd. This means that the invasion started on June 17th, about two weeks before July 4th. Okay. So that'll explain something later on in the film. Mm. Why they have access to something that we'll talk about later. Anyway. Oh, 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 I got you. Yeah, yeah. I just oh, wanted to so touch on the other rockets the, that come up. The, yeah, the fireworks okay. and the rockets. Okay. I wasn't thinking about that. That makes sense. It's good, clever, um, nice, you know, coverage of that detail. Um, and so, like, we get the idea that, that mom's kind of, maybe she was a nurse, you know? Maybe. Like, I don't know, but she, she, she seems to know. Well, we also know this isn't her first go round, but, um, you know, and anyway, we cut to Reagan, who is kind of slowly creeping into the house. It looks like the family moved out into the barn or the storm shelter or something. I like how they have the um, the, uh, the the ground, the wood ground flooring pa- painted where you should step to make the uh, least yeah. amount of noise. Neat, nice detail, right? For a very no, detail oriented movie. Yeah, and there's no like sand or carpeting in here, but the the the, the foot placement things. Um, and then get another jump stare, scare, but it's, uh, it's dad. And he's basically like grabbed Ray Reagan and, you know, tells her he, he doesn't want her down there and that she knows why. And she protests that she won't make a sound, but he's just not having it. And so like, she's trying to like sneak down to the control center area. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm going to call that I'm mission. Call it that. It's control, mission control. Mission control. <laughs> um, and it's his workshop. Know, it's his man. Well, game. It isn't, though. I mean, it is and it isn't. And it's kind of this, and this is like another thing about why I had this, like, this notion of there being this this God the Father aspect. And it kind of comes into here. Um, like, th- from this room, he sees everything. Mm-hmm. And it's his room. You don't get to come into his room. Because I see you it. Are, I, I, you are, I like it. You are the, the child. And it is his job to protect you. It is not your job to, to go in there and, and fool with things. And, um, 
And then he presents her with the gift of a hearing aid. Or not a hearing aid. A cochlear a implant. cochlear implant. Well, it's not the implant part, but it's the... That's the whole shebang. Well, it, it doesn't implant. It, but she's got the implant already. Anyway, it's it's the earpiece for it. The exterior piece for it. And, um, you know, she argues that they never work. And he says, we'll keep, keep trying. trying until it does. Right. And, and he tries to put it on her three times. And each time she... Push it, pulls swats it away, it, pulls, pulls it, it away, away, and then she tells him to stop. Just stop. And he puts it in her hand and leaves. This is, man, this is really strained relationship here. Right. But the, this is like that that religious connotation thing that I'm talking about, though. It's like, and we because we know now, having watched this, and I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've seen the film, this is the, the piece that leads to their salvation. Yeah. He, he offers it three times and each time it's rejected. It's kind of a St. Peter sort of thing, maybe. And he just puts it in hand and leaves. Fine. It's up to you. I can't make you do it. Yeah. Puts it in your hand and leaves. And, you know, this is not a, this is, a, you know, it's not overt religious, but it's got those connotations of a feeling like that. Um, what do you think? Dude, I didn't think anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just thought that I was more focused on oh, how strained their relationship actually was. Mm -hmm. Oh, we got snippets of it, but this is the first time we really see them interact in a way that we're like, oh, right. They're either they blame each other or something like, you know, mm -hmm. no, I, I get it. So I wasn't focused in on a, an allegory or anything. I was more focused on their relationship. Fair enough. Um, so then we cut to mom and Marcus practicing math and having a little sweet moment there. Very kind of traditional. She's so good. I know she's very, I, and, and she's so mom like, but she's not matronly like in that. But she, I mean, her acting, Emily Blunt's mm -hmm. acting here is so good, but this is showing you that these the these these parents have very traditional gender roles. Mom is doing the teaching and the cooking and the cleaning and, and having a baby. Is, and dad, dad is, comes in and he's ready to take Marcus fishing. Yeah, this is exactly what I'm talking about. They have very defined gender roles in this film up until the end, which maybe not. I don't uh, think it's. I don't think it's. You get. You, she still has a mother hen. Like protecting well, her, I, her I, pups, uh, <laughs> mother hen protecting her pups. I don't know where you got that, but yeah, I mean, I think I think the idea of a mother protecting her children that is not an outs outside of the gender role thing, but um, and and we'll we'll talk about that I guess more as we we continue, but we get we get Marcus scared and he's asking not to go, and mom reassures him that. Your father will always protect you. And, but honestly, I can't really blame Marcus for not really believing that because, you know, he's, he's seen his brother get killed less than a year ago. Oh, he's terrified. Right. And, and, and the kid's acting is really good. Like I buy the kid is like legit scared. Um, it's all in the eyes. His eye work, his eye acting is really good. Um, and so this is a fishing expedition. Like, like I said, so he's going to teach him to fish, provide for himself. And, 
uh, all of them when when he, they can't anymore. And Marcus tells his dad he doesn't want to go. Um, he tells him there's nothing to fear, and he goes, "Of course there is." You know, it's like, "Are you stupid?" And uh, the daughter, Reagan, she steps in and she volunteers to go. And dad tells her, no, you need to stay and help your mother. And he concludes, he concludes, just stay here. You'll be safe. And then he signs to mom next time. But like, this is still, he says next time. I know you think she's a liability because she's deaf. She can't tell how much sound she's making. But uh, to me, this is him dividing into gender roles son gets to learn how to fish be man and learns how to you know a very important survivability trick in this world while the older daughter who is wants to participate in this thing he says no stay and help your mother that just seems sort of like this is not your role. And he says, yeah, he says next time, but I feel like it's kind of a throwaway line or it's kind of like him just saying, you know, this, well, I think the next time or he is, it like, is important because it, he, he thinks he'll have her, her implant figured out where she can hear. And that, I think that's a big, that's a big point because they're venturing out and, it's it's important because you know she is a liability not being able to hear when sound the, you know the monsters are able to hear a pin drop mm-hmm. and i mean it's it's a concern he's trying his his main concern is keeping his family safe and alive and it makes that whether or not there's a gender role thing at play, I think there is no question that Reagan is harder to bring than Marcus safely. I don't, but she demonstrates that she's very capable to travel and she goes out on her own. Anyway, she does. She, she, Sure. She's frustrated with her dad and she storms off and she's packing a bag. I'm like, oh, she's running away. Right. And like, like every kid does when they get upset, they pack a bag. They put it in this case, they pack one toy. <laughs> it's yeah. that Kevin Hart joke. Like me and He-Man are out. Right. But she does. She you see this thing that she pulls out. And it's wrapped up in some sort of cloth or a blanket or a t-shirt or whatever it is, mm-hmm. bandana. And we're like, what is that? And then, uh, but before that she puts on, she does put on the, she does the, try the, the implant, but she leaves it on and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. She does. She snaps. It doesn't work. Um, okay. And then, yeah, she, well, we don't see, it's kind of this, what we see with the wrapped parcel, it's intercut into to the, some scenes later. Wrapped parcel. Well, well, we don't know what it is yet. Um, But the next scene, we're at a babbling river, and there's plenty of sound. And it's a little refreshing to actually hear some stuff going on. Um, And Dad and Marcus check some fish traps, and he's set, and we get a fish. It looks like some trout. It's time to kill it. And Marcus freaks out. He's signing. They'll hear you. 
Um, I just, I love how scared he is and how like, like I mean, the dad, I mean, this is, but this is just like a, a real father son react, uh, interaction that's kind of turned up to 11 where the dad kind of knows what he's doing and the kid is completely out of his depth and kind of freaked out. But of course, in this case, the kid knows that like their lives are at stake. I think it, I just, I, I love it. Okay. Well, he um, explains that you can be loud when there's something you can talk normally when there's something else around that is louder. Right. To me, this is a plot hole. If you're all about keeping your family safe, you will sacrifice some of your comforts and you will set up camp next to this river. Okay. Um, that is. I know you can't like sit there and build a house. Right. But you can live in a tent or tents, plural, or build some sort of shelter here. And it even looks like when they hit, visit this waterfall that there's a cave that they, they don't venture into, but it, you can see it. Uh, I think. This is a plot hole, not only for me, but for other people. Well, that I can I can see that as being an issue. However, um, if sound does attract these things, is it perhaps? And he seems to know that there's three in the area for whatever. However, he knows. Oh, he sees things wandering around on his right on his CCTV. But the does the river tend to attract the creatures to it i don't know? think so i think they know that it's it's either a too loud or b that it's a constant it, it, they know they realize what's making the sound and they don't go over there right because and, they can't hear anything else over it so there's no prey for it there right and so that that would be curious as to yeah i mean that's a, that is an issue i can we see do that, know that they can we do know later but, that they can swim well, at least hold their breath yeah um anyway I, I i don't i don't see it as a huge plot hole in the fact of why don't they leave their farm because one this seems to be quite a bit of ways from their their farm in in but here's like, the issue here's the issue is that you cannot survive you know on what you catching out of the river in one season forever. No, you keep you they can keep their farm, but then they can make a hike instead of making a hike to the fish trap, they can make a hike to harvest. I, I think that yeah, I, I'm not I don't fully buy it because we also get this. Well sense I don't that, full, fully buy them not choosing not to live next to a place where they can make noise. Well, they're one, they're working on the soundproofing that also hasn't been that long. And secondly, it's going to be winter soon, we know. And you can't, this does not, this looks like a place that's going to have a fairly harsh winter. And you can't survive winter in a tent. No, but so, there are other ways. I mean, there's space heaters you could have. I mean, not by the river, there's no electricity. You don't think there's battery powered things they could have? 
Not for an entire winter, no. Absolutely not. Okay, well, I know that when my electricity went out in the winter, I had we had space heaters with no generators. That That's were... fine, but the thing is, is I don't think you're going to have... And they didn't make any noise, <laughs> but it, the, the noise is irrelevant here because of the, the babbling stream. Well, it depends on how much noise you're going to eventually make. All right, we'll agree to disagree. I think this is a plot hole. Tell I, us what you think. I don't think it's a big enough plot hole to be to to put be put off by it. Anyway, so it cuts to Evelyn, who is mommy. She's doing laundry, and she's going up the stairs. And what get is it? What what exactly gets caught on this? It's it's like a it's a corn sack, but it's got laundry in it. Okay, um, and it gets caught, and she pulls it. And it then, pulls like the head off a nail that was kind of like exposed and kind of brings it up. This I don't. This I have more of a problem with than them not living. This I on, don't like. They, I, it's a plant for later. It's not and, that much later, but they, it's like five minutes later. Right. It's a plant. This movie moves quick. Yeah. All right. Anyway, this is a plant, but they focus in on it. I'm like, I don't need that. Like this movie almost prides itself on not bashing you over the head with things. And, and yet this is like, here's the nail. Also, it looks like they, somebody nailed this step upward instead of downward. I, that's why I think it like pull, pulled, it pulled, pulled the, the head, head off, off the of nail. It. Right. Um, but it's like, <laughs> I get that you can't like rehammer nails that go in, but you can take some pliers and pull it out. Um, I guess she didn't notice that it pulled out. I don't know. This one bothered, this does bother me. Or she's like, it's, it's, she's got her hands full. She's going to go, She'll take care of it later. But. Right. And that's whatever. And then we cut. Let's see. We're But this a, a good plant doesn't let you know that this is a plant. For yeah, later. yeah, yeah. And I well I, like the, the, no. the cochlear implants is a plant for later, but we don't know yet. Yeah, but this I mean we already had it with um little bow and, and the the batteries, like we there there's some, i mean that's those, alluding to what's going to happen no it's what really what it is is it's dramatic irony and like we as the audience know something that the characters don't and we know exactly but what's she going knows to happen about the nail i don't even think she sees it but she knows it got caught on like something. i know and that's so weird to me that it just seems out of character um, anyway, with, moving with on. The carefulness that they take, or the care that they take with everything, this seems a little bit weird. Um, now we get the waterfall scene where I love this. Dad yelling and Whoa! dad hoops and <laughs> he scares the crap out of his kid. Um, and like we finally start hearing some normal volume voice, and um, you know, there's a little bit of dialogue, and you know, is, is it safe? And then we get from the distance, very faintly. Marcus hooping, you know, into the waterfall. Um, what's this scene add for you to the film? The scene adds a little bit of the father-son relationship. Mm -hmm. The uh, the classic I'm man, hear me roar kind of <laughs> thing uh, that they can finally do here right? because of the waterfall noise. Um, and I don't know that this kid has ever had this sort of experience of just letting loose. I mean, right. Well, I mean, at least not in recent memory for him. Right. I mean, so what, I mean, it adds this sort of coming of age 
feel for this kid. And this kind of is a bit of that kind of trip where he's learning to, to start providing. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, we get, we cut back to mom doing the laundry and wandering through the house. And, and we, Reagan is still on the trail. She's left home with her backpack. Right. And then and I'm asking myself, is she running away? Right. And, and we really are. We don't know what's happening with that. And... Um, then we cut back to Marcus and Dad talking by the by the waterfall. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you let her come? Do you blame her for what happened? Things are starting to, this to scene come is, out. This scene is intercut with Reagan returning to the bridge. Right. The cross of where her, her little brother died. No. Because she blames herself. And, and then we see mom sitting in Bo's room and this right. is all intercut with them all having an experience with the death of the uh, of Bo. It was no one's fault. lover right of course i do so now uh, the question i've asked myself through the father the the father-daughter relationship the strained relationship is she blames herself and maybe she thinks that he blames her as well you should tell her Right. And and he says it's no one's fault, but with him looking, I mean, I don't believe that he, he really believes that. I think he believes it's his fault. And the mom we know from later believes it's her fault. Right. And, and we're going to get into that there. And so the only person who doesn't, takes no fault in this is well, Marcus. Yeah. And well, part of it is. And I think that's kid. absolutely true. He, he was sick. He couldn't do anything. And I, I blame me personally, I blame the parents because they made the kid go caboose in this train. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dad was carrying Marcus. Mom, we know from later, she was empty-handed, and the daughter who gave her gave Bo the toy bag. Right, and you know, mom's and crying. left him as caboose. Right, mom's crying and. Reagan unwraps the the thing and we see that it's the space shuttle and she clips the sound wire. Okay. I didn't I guess I missed that on this this repeat viewing because I was taking notes. Cause I the thing I took notes on is I, I could see the thing making lights. But she can't I was like, are we getting uh her point of view where <laughs> she can't hear it? And I was like, is she trying to commit suicide here? 
and just let is this her way of like you know honoring right. her brother is committing like it should have been me sort of thing but now now that you're saying she snipped the wire i remember that in my original viewings how how she knows that that is a sound wire i guess you know as much yeah. as she as much as she's familiar with I guess you auditory auditory technology i mean you cut any of the wires you're probably gonna not make it not work but the fact that the the lights work yeah, well, which, is, which is what she wanted. No, yeah. I mean that really happens. I've I've actually done that with old toys. Right. Yeah, but you that's all, it's it's a little nitpicky, but also like, come on, she doesn't know which one's the sound wire. I mean, she does obviously in the movie, but like a normal kid would not know which one is the sound wire, especially a deaf one who can't tell if it's if it's making sounds or not right i think it's i mean it's kind of interesting that it's the risk but i think she knows what she's doing because uh, we see that she's not suicidal and she places it uh the space shuttle uh, at the cross and we this is all still intercut with um marcus and and his dad and you know it's like you know you know he's asking do you still used to love her right he's like of course i do and you know, he's, this is him really coming to realize that he is his own, in his own grief, he has hurt his living children. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's really coming to that. And, and, you know, Marcus says, you should tell her. And we get this, we get the close up shots on the cross of, of the photos of Bo. Um, and so then we were, this movie is really emotional. Oh Yeah. Um, for for a horror movie, you know, most movies aren't. Most, I think that's why I like it so much because it's you it's can got connect a, with it, right? It's a lot more to connect with rather than just being scared all the time. Yeah, for um, sure. but you you feel scared for the people in it, like you you genuinely like these people. You want them to work out their issues as a family, and you know, not be messed up <laughs> more than they already are going to be uh, if they can survive this the these monsters. Um, so dad and Marcus are heading back now and there's something creepy going on. And we find a creepy old man standing over his dead wife. Jump scare. Looks like she's been eviscerated. Yeah. And, then let, and you know, dad puts up his finger to, to in the quiet motion, but the old man screams. Um, oh, I like where he, he ain't got no teeth, I guess. Cause his face scrunches up. Yeah. It's, it's like he's committing suicide. Cause I, I guess one of these things has gotten his wife. Yeah. And, um, Dad picks up Marcus, covers his mouth, and within seconds, the creature comes and kills the old man. Yeah. And it's night, and we cut back oh, to... Oh, but the, the kid, mm. when that thing is making screeching and making all the noises, mm. the kid is covering his ears. Yeah. He can't... He, he can't stand the sound of them. Well, I mean, I'm He's sure so, it's trauma. Yeah, it's so traumatizing to what happened to his little brother that is just like petrified by this the noise his eyes are closed his mouth has been covered and yep. all he's shutting off all his senses to this thing right and so it's night we cut back to mom holding the framed photo of Bo, and her water breaks and so it's a bit early she heads down the stairs and sits at the bottom stair so it's the ground floor not the basement two weeks early right yeah just about yeah and she heads to the basement and impales her foot on the nail, which we have, have all you, seen coming. Have you ever done this? 
No, you did it though. I did it on a piece of glass. I remember jumping a fence and landing on a pile of wood with the nail went straight through my sandal. It was a very large nail, went straight through my sandal and into my foot. Boy, was that not fun. This no. this hurts. There are a lot of your feet feel lots of things. I there's probably a lot of nerves in your feet, nerve endings, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. But whew. Yeah, not, I mean, not fun. It's it. This is like the, one of the real of all the things in the film. This one is like the one of the most gross out sort of things. It's not particularly gory either, but it's just it is. I mean, it's just a nail in the foot, and for a horror movie, that's not particularly bad. But it's also the one of the more relatable pains, even if you haven't done it. You've done something close to it, and it's one of the things that you can imagine. While going through childbirth, well, which is a relatable, not to us, but to women. Yeah. And so we, I think we're getting a double whammy here. It's like, oh, well, stepping on a nail is definitely a boy kind of thing. But that is not what you want to be. That is not on your list of things you want to have happen to you while you're and, in labor. No, but now she's um, gotten, she's in pain all over. Right, but it's not just that, but it's the stepping on the nail that she drops the frame the framed picture of Bo she's holding yeah and that creates noise and why is she carrying this photo around after well her water breaks? well she was she'd fallen like asleep in his room and like she's kind of holding that and anyway like she takes her foot off the nail she hits the red lights and that's some sort of signal, but I, I'm not sure if it's a signal that the creatures are coming, like I made noise or if this is uh, the signal of I'm having the baby. I think this goes red means run. I think that's a, uh, in a Neil Young song is what I read. Red means run son or hun or something like that. Okay. And we know that they listen to Neil Young, right? Right. Okay. So maybe that's their, their sort of thing. Red, and also red it means danger red means yeah sure i mean but i don't know if the it's classic the, the classic when the if the lights flash or when the lights change you know if i'm flashing the lights come home right okay fair enough like you know um, when mama goes flip the switch come home sure um and that's that, that i just didn't know if it was like a predetermined signal for like hey i'm in labor or if this was hey the creatures are here or if it was a catch-all danger danger sort of thing red is the, the sort of danger color sure sure um and the creatures in the house like right now like as she as she turns well, she's away. having some contractions on the stairs right she and so it, here's the it must have heard the frame we have monum and labor alone with the creature in the house and i don't know if it gets more tense she's like having a contraction she's doing like the lamaze breaths as close as uh, as quietly as yeah, she's in the. the she's the got basement. a time. She grabs. A she timer. grabs that egg timer and um, or kitchen timer, whichever you want to call it, and she she winds it. We cut back to Dad and Marcus, who see the red lights, and we cut back to Mom. We hear the creature, and it comes downstairs, and the mom's having another contraction, and um, this is really our first creature close up, and we get an idea of how well it hears. I kind of liked the whole not showing the monsters thing at uh -huh. towards the beginning of the film or you see them but they're all like so fast that they're blurred mm -hmm. i i don't know i don't love I, the monster design i don't either and apparently they didn't really have a monster design in mind when they were filming 
Apparently, John Krasinski was in a mocap suit for most of it. <laughs> okay, which which leads to a funny funny story. Like when they were doing test viewings, mm-hmm. people were laughing the whole time because they hadn't finished the CGI, and it was just John Krasinski in a mocap suit. Oh god. <laughs> Can you imagine watching that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that would totally spoil the film. I don't. And again, like the monster design really isn't my favorite, but it but is, I would it like is at the least jaw treatment. Not seeing. I don't know. Or the, you'd have or to the original it. Wampa scene from Empire Strikes Back. You'd have to change it up, like the the way it's filmed, or just make everything a lot more dark. But the problem with making it more dark is that. So you're going to make a movie where you can't really hear anything and you can't really see anything. So like, like my kind of movie. <laughs> Blackness. <laughs> the movie. So you, you really have to give something. Um, and I think they, they were experimenting and taking enough risks yeah, with, yeah. with having such sparse dialogue and, and having it be a relatively quiet film um but yeah, this but, is our close-up of the monster and we kind of see like all the little flap armored flap things on its head open kinda, up yeah and you kind of you see it's it's ear and then the of the egg timer that you wouldn't normally really be able to hear unless it was up to your ear and then it goes off right and it smashes the and she gets out of there she gets out of dodge. Right. She knew. She knew what she was doing. She was making. I want to go the ahead. Sound. And... I want to say that we're we're this entire scene is super tense, and that we are fearful for her. I mean, the beginning oh, yeah. of the movie set the tone that the youngest kid died. Right. Uh, I don't think I don't I don't feel like any of them have plot armor throughout the whole movie. No, I do I not feel like that. The, they killed the youngest kid in the beginning of the movie, and now it sets the tone for this whole thing that every time we get in a close-up situation with one of these monsters, that it might be there. That, that's it. They might die. Yeah. And I, I'm super fearful for our pregnant mother in child labor. I, I, Agreed. And... John Krasinski or Lee, sorry, and Marcus see the red lights as they're coming home, and they start running full speed. Right. Well, and then they they kind of do the. Your mom needs your help. Right. They un, he understands what's going on. The dad understands. They separate. What's they going go their on. separate ways. Right. Well, he tells me you need a big. We need a big sound, and he tells me you need to go light the rockets. Yeah. Um, and like you mentioned before, this has kind of been, it's not fully set up because it's, it, there's not a lot of handholding, but, um, we don't really question why they have fireworks. Like it's America having fireworks is not an unreasonable thing, especially out in the country. But I also explained that this, that it happened in the invasion happened in June, which would be, they would have fireworks readily available to them. Right. Like beforehand so yeah um anyway the intense music like really hits as uh marcus goes off to his task and we have mom in in the tub who is in like full labor agony um and she she's starts already bleeding. bleeding from her her hoo-hoo <laughs> okay <laughs> so uh, that immediately tells uh, us that something ain't right um i i don't 
I mean, I don't my, know. Wife, my wife has, has been in labor, and I, I don't know, like, how much bleeding So I found occurs. this on IMDb. Uh-huh. It says, Evelyn began suddenly bleeding a large amount of bright red blood, which was not a normal part of early labor, and something had gone wrong in her delivery, such okay. as a condition where the placenta is damaged or begins to prematurely separate from the mother's body. Okay. These conditions can cause a lot of blood loss in the woman, the baby, or both. This explains why Evelyn lost consciousness after her delivery and why there did not seem to be a problem with the baby crying right after delivery. The baby was born before entering the soundproofed room and was fairly quiet as he was being carried to that room. The duration of silence from the baby after birth would be unusual unless there was a problem with the baby the baby, such as blood loss, which was well explained by the sudden blood loss and Evelyn has in the bathtub. Okay. Well, that, that kind of closes that little plot hole then. Huh? Well, <laughs> that's not really something I kind of thought of. I, I was kind of just to, um, so yeah, well, we get <laughs> that kind of jumps us ahead. Cause we do know Evelyn survives this, but we get a, a part here where, um, the, we got a lot of quick cuts going on as the monster is getting closer and the power, the, the light bulb above the bathtub is flickering and uh, mom just can't take it anymore. And she screams as the rockets just go off. Well, she hears the rockets go off. I, I don't know. The, no, the way it's does. cut is... No, she, you hear of a bunch of them go off. Okay. Then everything cuts out. Every, all the music, everything yeah. cuts out, and, and you hear screams. this scream. Okay, and then the rockets start again. Well, and the thing is, is like I couldn't tell. I I couldn't tell on a rewatch of which really is happening first, and and the thing is, is that Sunny Boy has done it. He's he's saved his mother, did what he was supposed to do, right. and that's he's he is becoming more of a man he's he's saved he's saved a member of his family mm-hmm. um and that and you want to talk about you know gender roles or whatever that this is a father-son sort of thing and he you know what what do fathers want to teach their sons well they want to teach them what it means to be a man and this for him is what it means to be a man is protecting your family and he does it yeah he succeeded and so that's showing us one that that Lee is succeeding as a father, but also that Marcus is succeeding and overcoming his fears as a boy on his passage to be a man. And I think that that's really important. Maybe in the second film, we'll see some more of that because he's still a young boy. He's not, he's not, this is not a man. Now you're a man. It's not that kind of thing, but um, it's, it's a, it's a, a very big event that I think can get overlooked a little bit. Um, and Reagan sees those fireworks though from from the bridge. Yeah. Um, so and that's also a good. It's also a visual that she can see, so she knows to come home. And so in that in that kind of plot device way, it works. Um, right. As to be somewhat convenient. Um, and then we get Dad coming through the house with a shotgun. Well, he loads the shotgun uh-huh. under a blanket. Oh yeah, yeah, that's which a, a good night You're like, what the heck is he doing? And then he flips the blanket up kind of loudly. And he's got a shotgun loaded. There's still some shells on the bed there. Yeah. And uh, but he comes to that empty tub, and we are led to believe that mom has been killed. Oh man! And I was flipping out when I first saw it. I was just like, 
They got her? No, no, no. Not just, you know, not just her, but also the baby. Yeah. Like, I'm going... Because we don't hear the baby crying either. Right. So... We don't know what happened. Um, and, th- and this is a really good, good moment by John Krasinski as he thinks his wife has been killed. Like, you're just like, oh, man. Yeah. Um, and then mom... It's a, it's a small little jump scare, but mom's bloody hand hits the shower wall. And it takes you a second to realize she is okay. Uh, and so we're back outside. Reagan's coming home. Brother is kind of running from the monster and goes into the cornfield. And dad is carrying mom and baby into the soundproof basement. Just as the monster arrives, they kind of put the um, the mattress over. And we get Reagan. I think she's kind of looking for her brother. She's kind of figuring out what's what what's happening. Right. And this is where the weakness is revealed. And well, then it's, we another, it's another dramatic irony. Well, we get... I think we skipped a part where Marcus is running from there's something in the crops. There's something oh, right, in the right, corn. Right. Uh-huh. And it's very reminiscent of signs. Yeah. Running through the through the, the cornfields and then he runs into a tractor and, and knocks himself out. Right, right, right. And then Reagan finds the flash like sees the light from his flashlight flashing from the corn and uh. she goes in to investigate. And uh Bro, I thought I thought Marcus was a goner. I thought he he did his his duty. He saved his mom, and now he's he's done so. But like I said, I don't feel safe for anybody in this movie. No, I, I don't. But um, this is where that weakness is revealed, in that the the new earpiece for the the implant um, that Dad made for Reagan it creates some sort of feedback loop that really messes with the super sensitive hearing of the creatures. And so like, this is kind of your, their salvation MacGuffin. And that's kind of, um, kind of, it go to, kind of goes along with the, the idea of, you know, dad's been working on the weakness. He's been working on the weakness and he's, he found it kind of unwittingly. And of course, nobody knows right now because Reagan doesn't see the creature that has kind of creeped, crept up, um, behind her or she doesn't hear it behind her. Right. Um, so she doesn't know it's there. All she knows is she's getting this feedback too, but she actually hears something mm-hmm. and it, and um, so it really, it, but it's, it's an interesting thing how this, uh, this film really does play up the dramatic irony um, a little bit more than uh, some other films in the horror genre need to. All right. And so we cut to um, what we, it's back to the bridge and it's really, it's very brief. And we see Bo and it's, it's mom's dream. Of she's seeing Bo plagued by her son's death. Right. It's, it's, it's really highlighting that severe anxiety that both she and, and the dad must be feeling about the new baby. Yeah. And like, she wakes up and we get some more audible dialogue, uh, dialogue. The soundproofing Yay. has worked. Um, except the problem is now that their other kids are still outside and in harm's way. And yes, where are they? He says, I'll find them. And then they kind of go back and forth for a second. And then, uh, they know what to do. Right. It's like, he's, he's taught them and she says, you know, and, and she's smart. She, she'll find some place. And, um, you know, they have a nice long look at their newborn baby boy. It's a boy. Yep. And, and he responds with, it's a boy. Right. And she says, I could have carried him. And 
that's not what she's she's not talking about the new one she's talking about though and i can still feel the weight in my arms she says and this really this is our the clearest you know indication of, of her guilt but she's finally communicating it to yeah. her husband and she's like my hands were free he's just telling her you have to stop um and he knows because he feels the same guilt um and she but she you know she keeps going i should have carried him and she says this is who are we if we can't protect them who are we you You have to to protect protect them them. does she think she's dying promise me you'll protect them i don't know it i mean it's it's a real possibility she's definitely fatigued and if the birth wasn't normal you know like we talked about earlier this might have some sort of she's saying you have to protect them but it's but uh, you know you've you've talked about the gender roles thing and and you know we have this cultural discussion about gender roles right now and um you know if i think everybody i think everybody should agree that no matter what your opinions are if people want to take on traditional gender roles in their family of their own volition then so be it i mean that's i don't think I think part of the issue is always about, you know, personal freedom and individual identity. And, you know, if your individual identity fits into a traditional role, then uh, I don't I don't think anybody should really find fault with that. And I don't see anything going on here where any role is in being imposed upon these characters. But she really I mean, other than maybe this of. You have to protect them, but I mean, a wife to her husband. Right, or to but, the father this, of her children. This, that's not an abnormal sort of no, admonition. This, the the way she says it makes you feel like she won't be there to protect them anymore either. Right. And and in this this though And we know from the end of the film that she is quite capable. Yeah, and and the thing is, is like there's always you know there's the stories of of mothers you know picking up cars to to free their their trapped children and things like that you know it's the the whole mama bear sort of thing and you know mothers can do absolutely um, terrifying things uh, in defense of of their children. Um, and I don't, I don't see that as at all unfeminine at all, you know, even in the traditional sense, right. these are, these are kind of like traditional roles, but this, this scene here though, is really what made it click for me about why my eight-year-old doesn't find this film scary. And I find it absolutely terrifying. It's all about parenthood. Yeah. I mean, not all, but it's, it's really about how do parents protect your children in a world that's going to destroy them. And really, if you look at this from a, from a traditionalist standpoint, and I do have a lot of traditional views, you know, and, and that's, those are, those are, are my views. So I, maybe that's why I identify so well with this movie is that, you know, if you, if you have these views and you look out, I don't really care what views you, you have. If you look out at the world right now, it is terrifying. It is, you see a world that could swallow your children alive. Yeah. Um, and in that way, maybe not allegorical, but certainly in that Tolkien, Tolkien-esque applicability um, sort of thing. Well, who are we as parents if we can't protect our children from the outside world? And that's a, really a question every parent 
every parent asks themselves at some point or another, um, how do we protect our children from these horrible things? And, you know, in the real world, like we, we hear more about um, human trafficking and, and, you know, sexual predators, you know, pedo, you know, pedophilic predators. And, you know, that's kind of something we, we think about not, you know, that that's more heightened in our day and in this age. And that's not really something, but it's, it's a fear that plays on like, like anything could happen in the, in the split second and, you know, your child can be taken from you forever. And this plays on all those fears. Right. Um, and so my eight-year-old who goes, why can't I bike to school, you know, eight miles away? Because like, we got monsters, daddy. <laughs> right. Um, like, you know, but he, he doesn't get it. Like, he doesn't see the danger in, like, he doesn't even see the danger in, in traffic. You know, oh, like, right. so it's like, as a parent, you're like, or is it even just as an adult, you know, you're just like, uh, no, this is not okay. This is scary. Right. So the sister and brother are reunited. Yeah. Yay. Um, and this is, this is good. And this kind of gives you, you some hope. And, uh, dad emerges, uh, from the mattress this, and finds the, this upstairs. house is wrecked. Right. It's absolutely ransacked by the monster, but it's gone. And then we get the scene that the pan over to the pipes uh, in the, the building having burst and slowly flooding the house. And you're giving me a look right now. How did he not see this? This is super obvious. Um, I don't know. It could be obscured. I mean, there's a lot but of there's stuff water going on in the like house. dripping into the, the opening he just came out of. I don't know. Uh, it, it seems it, weird. It, it doesn't I, look I, like but it's also he's, he's got a very one track mind. He is focused on finding his children. You are not worried about the pipe bursting, and you probably don't think that it. It's gonna going flood to the flood. Doll, your newborn baby and your not at this not wife. at that pace. Oh, okay. All right. I, I don't know. I, I don't see I don't see it as that big of a deal. Um it's it's I I find it a little bit excessive in general. It's not necessary for the plot for the for the you know, the basement to be flooding. It gives us a very frightening image later, but but yeah, it's it's not plot wise particularly necessary so so the kids are on top of the uh the silo the grain silo now waiting waiting on dad right they kind of get into an argument here uh about whether he's going to come for them or not yeah and, and reagan's like she'll he'll, he'll come for you but he, he won't come for me because yeah. he doesn't love me anymore right and you know it's, it's pretty the, sad it's the sad the sad thing of like because you know we we all know that he does love his daughter yeah um, i mean we see him painstakingly trying to work on this, the implant for her all, right. you know, probably I, every day, all night. And I think that kind of goes with that, that religious imagery too, of like when you're angry with God, even if you feel guilty about something you did, like you think God has this expectation of you that, uh, that you need to be perfect and you're always disappointing him. And I mean, this kind of why we, we identify God as, as father in a lot of ways, um, you know, we have that view, um, and you know, but God, as the father is in this story, he's working behind the scenes, um, it, you know, out of love and, you know, we don't always see it. Yeah. He's working behind the scenes now, uh, the security monitor's checking in his little workshop is how I wrote it down. His little workshop, <laughs> 
Uh, and it's kind of intercut with the kids waiting on him. Uh, and Evelyn wakes to water draining into the underground room. And now their soundproof safe place is no longer safe. Yeah. I guess it, it kind of raises the stakes because their safe their safe haven that they've made is it ain't safe. And it's not safe because it's flooded and now there's a monster in the room with her. Right. And she gets in the water thinking that it won't follow her, I guess. Well she has well, no, no she, she goes to rescue the baby. She goes to rescue the baby and the thing goes under. And you're like, yeah. oh, oh shnikes. Uh, and uh man, this was a big uh-uh moment <laughs> when that thing goes under the water. My wife, we were watching it last night, and my wife <laughs> she audibly goes, uh-uh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this is, it, it's certainly frightening, um, and, it, and it kind of plays on that that primal fear of things in the water, things you can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like I like this better because partly I don't like the monster design very much, and like oh, I got a very alien. See she picks up the baby and it peeks up, and this is a big holy shnikes moment for mm-hmm. me. I'm like, bro, like. It's staring at her, but you know it can't see, but it's looking directly at her. And right. uh, yeah, this part was pretty pretty terrifying. Yeah, this whole this whole bit is, is it's very reminiscent of Alien. I feel yeah, like yeah, you 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 started you started that train of thought, and I was like, on where is he going with it? Yeah, it is. It's got it does have that the monster design isn't isn't as good, but it it is slightly reminiscent. Well, of that. Alien is like one of the best monsters yeah I, I watched something that that really addressed kind of like where that came from the artist who who did some right. concept art for that <laughs> it's just like wow um but yeah I, this this whole scene is incredibly tense so uh lee john krasinski finds one of the kids backpacks by the cornfield and it, it cuts back to the monster versus uh, mom and the baby, scary. She's back in the back, backs off into under this little waterfall thing, and mm-hmm. it's staring at her mm-hmm. through the like it's coming for her. I don't feel safe for her again. I, yeah, but I, at, at this, this point, point I, you're kind of she's kind of got some sort of plot armor. I I felt like I don't know how she's getting out of this, but I did feel like she would. I I didn't. I knew some. I felt like someone else was going to die when on my first watch of this. All right. Um, but I did not feel like it was going to be the newborn baby. I felt like if she was going to die, she would have died when she was pregnant, not while she was holding the newborn. Right. Um, or so, she could be dying protecting the newborn. I could have bought that, but but now if she dies here protecting the newborn. I don't buy the it. Bobby, the ba- the Bobby, the baby, the baby drowns. Uh, now we're on top of the grain grain silo again and the boy falls in the door breaks through the boy falls in and while they're arguing whether they should go whether they should stay uh, choices made for you yep they're staying which he again not this time it's on accident but he saves his mom oh yeah I didn't I didn't really think of it that way but it's kind of unwitting uh, so um, I think Lee realizes where they are now mm-hmm. and this thing, one of the things bolts right by right. him and he's like, Oh, 
really cool yeah. scene just to see you, you yeah. get the feeling of like if he'd have been 10 you know five feet to the left he'd have been smoked right these things can't see but they sure do not not like that oh well, they have echolocation i think is like the concept right i mean but it's just running through the cornfield it's just ripping and running while right it well, we've seen it run through trees yeah so like and not like crashing into you know stuff all the time but um so also, he starts the marcus starts sinking into the corn and the thing i thought this is the would be a terrible way to go yeah, I've seen a, a show that did this, and I can't remember which one it was. I think it was probably Criminal Minds, and they like they just drowned somebody and yeah, dry, they, dry they corn. basically did that, and it was a grain silo, and they basically buried themselves in it. Um, you know, it was so like, this is possible, right? Uh, I do not have a full sense of how much corn acts like movie quicksand. Yeah, Quick, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I imagine here, here's the thing is I can't think of it as you have, you have to have somewhere for the grain to be shifting to. Right. So, so it would, it if, would need to shift upward. Well, no, if there's a hole at the bottom and there's, there's grain or corn falling through, then maybe, then I would buy it. But like, I, I don't know, like, I put my kids at a, in a, you know, at a, like a pumpkin patch thing where there's like a tub, big old tub of corn, like, but they just kind of play in it like it's sand. Like it's not right. So I don't, I don't know how realistic this is or isn't. Um, and I don't, I don't super care for this particular scene except for, or the predicament, let's say maybe not the scene, the scene is well-crafted, but the predicament it, itself is kind of like, Okay, well, they're going to drown in corn out of for all of all the things that that's going to kill them. They're going to drown in corn, and that's whatever. But it does allow Marcus to save his sister, who, well, who she thing, comes well, to on. save him too. And, and the that thing kind of, fall, the door falls in, right? So he's able to grab onto that and keep himself from sinking in. Which why doesn't it sink? I don't. I don't know all the science. Well, of it's this. A kind of surface area thing. It's it's following it's following quicksand rules, right? It is acting as the trophy quicksand. Mm -hmm. um, so then there's a monster on. Well, the girl jumps in. Mm -hmm. the, uh, sister jumps in after her brother. She starts to sink. Monster on the monsters on the silo saves the sister. They're both hanging on to the uh, the door that had fallen in. And now the monster's in there with them. But now that they lift the door over to protect themselves, and the we get the feedback again. Right, 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 right. So it's like uh, the deus ex machina keeps coming back. God from the machine quite... Well, why doesn't the early. monster sink? Uh... Yeah, plot. <laughs> it busts it, out. It has it, it has plot buoyancy. Yeah, well, it it bursts out of the right. Well, part of it is, I mean, okay, so the monster doesn't sink in part, it, it, and it's it's more of a story narrative device. It's got agency. Yeah. Um. And and I like, mean, not really. It, you could kill this one off, having it sink into it. 
But, but I guess it, it just burst through the bottom. But yeah, I mean, there's no reason. You can for incapacitate. It to, there's two more. Right, but then we we lose the the real issue is this: they don't seem to have any real weaknesses except for this uh, cochlear implant feedback that it's getting. That is that unwittingly been created. Yeah, and it kind of sucks knowing something as a viewer that they the characters don't know yet that's dramatic irony like that's that's literally the definition and that's why yeah. i mean it's been used forever right shakespeare makes great use of it um i mean it's one of the most classic examples so they are able to get out not oh i guess through the, the hole the the monster made they jump out mm-hmm. um and they're reunited with dad yay and they're not safe again no they're never safe and then they run to this truck, which we've had, we know about from earlier with Marcus sitting in the truck. Uh, yeah, that's where we meet him. Yeah. Well, other than the, the prologue. Right. And then he, they're in the truck. Right. John, uh, I keep wanting to call him John Krasinski or Jim, but his name in the movie is Lee. I call him Dad. Dad, yeah. <laughs> he gets an axe and you're pumped. You're like, oh, yeah. Manly man got his axe. Get him. Jim Halpert, and uh, he looks up, and there's a monster waiting for him, and it slashes him, and we're like, your heart drops. You're like, oh, no, the kids are done for, except for that we know that they kind of have this, they got the ace in the hole with uh, Reagan's implant, which forces them away. Right. So... And it, it's just one of those dramatic, like you but said, she turns it off. She does in this scene. She does turn it off because mm-hmm. it's hurting her too. Yeah, um, and she doesn't. She doesn't really have a full understanding of what's going on yet. And then she turns it off, and you're like, no. But as soon as as soon as uh, Dad's hit, it cuts to uh, Mom's face. She knows, right? And that that's one of the, and... the beautiful things about film that you can't do in um in prose mm-hmm. uh is is this subtle realization these quick takes um you know and it's like when you talk about the, the book versions versus the movie versions of certain things and of course this wasn't done from a book but, but it's it's story it's all storytelling right and this is one of the elements that you can do in film and it, it it doesn't make one superior to the other by a long shot but it's very it's very appropriate um and i like that i like how it's used here uh now the kids are going to be attacked by the monster um i don't this kind of kind of bothers me a little don't <laughs> just ahead. no i mean just the them i mean it's Played for dramatic effect, but mm-hmm. it's like, but this thing just tore through a grain silo easily, and now it's struggling with the truck, getting into the truck to find to attack them. But mm. Dad is alive, and he realizes when he, he drops his axe, and he realizes what he has to do to save them. Right. Oh man, the sacrifice. The music is powerful, and he lets out. Uh, chilling scream i mean just un what's the word i'm looking for here primal yeah 
primal. It's unrelenting, just forceful yell. And he's a goner. Cut to the mom's face. She knows. And this is... She's watching, right? Man, we forgot the most important part. What? I I love you. Yeah. I was about to say, when is he getting to it? I have always loved you. Right. And... Uh, this is powerful stuff here for Reagan, especially. And it wasn't in the original script. Really? It was just, I love you. One of the other guy, I guess the right, one of the writers or the uh, producers suggested this to John Krasinski on set and it made him cry. Mm. How powerful that it made the scene even more powerful. And if he hadn't said, if it was just, I love you, it wouldn't have been the same. Uh, well, yeah, I think he realized that, and I think that's why he made that change. Um, I mean, I don't think that it lacks, you know, it, it's the same storytelling element, I think. Um, but it also, this is kind of also that divine father sort of uh, motif thing that I've been kind of toying with throughout, where you have that Christ-like sacrifice, yeah. you know, along with the... I love you. You didn't, you know, it's like, this is not, I'm, I'm saving you with this sacrifice. And, and we're ugly crying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. Because we but, care about these characters and we don't want to see, we the whole movie, we're fearful for one of them. I didn't think it was going to be the, the lead of the movie. No. Um, and release the e-brake truck comes down the hill. Which I guess the thing chases it, because uh, it's got to make some noise. Yeah, but it it comes it goes down the hill pretty pretty silently. It's almost like this is plotted. They 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 they, they set is, this up yeah. as a as an escape thing. So, um, and but it's got to make yeah you're right. It's got to make some noise, but it doesn't seem to make. I mean, if we're little raccoons running down a sand trap, make enough noise for it to get yeah. S- smattered into nothing mm. all right well they're reunited with mom now not quite as yay as the other reun- reunions have been no. but she knows she knows what's happened right um and we're still not safe no uh no because we haven't dealt with the monsters at all i know but we have we keep getting away we keep getting away normal we normally in most of the horror movies we get a little breather where we're safe and uh we're <laughs> still not safe and the, here the, is where she takes over as protector well right and and this actually i think you know we, we've talked about gender roles and fam- familial roles and things like that but you know and one of the things that is kind of kind of i don't know how to put it in the in the absence of one parental role or another, yeah, the other parent has to step up and fulfill both roles, and that's you you the the other parent will do it when it's absolutely necessary, and you know I think that here it, it obviously is, but the the other parent I mean it's not like this isn't an issue of abandonment and or anything like that, but Ma, Mama Bear's got to 
got to step, got to come alive now. Absolutely. But she just gave birth, and we know that there were complications with this birth. Yeah. And <laughs> she's she's got a nail hole in her foot. She's, she's but you spoke to what moms are able to do, right? All these almost superhuman feats that they're able to perform and this just being able to function in this scene is superhuman um we've but and so far like she's never been the one to act like even the littlest thing of putting out the fire like she is she's the nurturer yeah this is this is character growth for her because this is not her role, not the role she's had in her family. I'm sorry, but when that, that ding came on, I, I thought of, turn the page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I really like this about her because it it gives her character more of an arc. Because we've, she, we know that she's blaming herself for, for Bo's death, but we haven't really been following her struggles all that much because she gets along with her kids. She gets along with her husband. She's the family anchor. Yeah. She's the strength of the family in a lot of ways. Um, so, and now she is the only parent. And so now, um, they're all going down into the workshop, the control center. Yeah. And the daughter doesn't want to go down there. She wants to almost respect her newly deceased father's wishes that, don't go down there yeah and uh you know mom reassures her that but, it's you know that's good right yeah and this I'm, I'm gonna hit the religious point again this is like okay so if we're if we're seeing this divine figure as the father you know and, and like the sacrifices like christ then this is like the tearing of the veil in the temple and that she it's open to her now um, and this might be completely unintentional, um, but I think it, it's this film plays a lot on like traditional archetypes, and I think it kind of goes in like this, where we're all the the these things that the behind the scenes of the father yeah, figure she, are well, are I happening think, is now open to her. Well. I see it from a different point of view. It's a, I see it as when she goes down there, she gets to finally see her father's love. Oh, absolutely. She gets to see the love, you know, that he's constantly working on new cochlear implants that he's constantly trying to figure out these monsters weaknesses, you know, and it's all written out and he's got newspaper clippings everywhere. So he, she, this is where she finally, feels you know gets to witness right her and, father's and it's love, only, which she hasn't had in over almost a year and it's all due to his sacrifice that the fullness of his love is apparent yeah and that i mean i don't you don't have to be a christian to appreciate that kind of imagery um and see that the correlation of like why someone with that point of view sees it um, right. as that and, and identifies with it. But I think you can identify with it either way, because I think it's pretty, it's pretty archetypal in that, in that sense. And uh, Marcus, the son gets 
to hold his baby brother for the first time. Yeah, that was sweet. And he's been on. He's got baby duty basically. Right, but um, but what is what is baby duty right now? It's protecting your little brother. Yeah, and he's I the man he, now. Yeah, and I think he is. He's come of age. This is his role. He knows that this is his his job. Right. Although he's well, terrified uh, still, but you I know mean, that's okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the thing is, is that I think you see in the in the father, he's ter- he's been terrified this whole time. So throughout the whole movie, lights. They interact with lights too. Right. There's some flickering, like we talked about that with the bathroom. It's not like um, the level of Stranger Things in the um, no, and the, and no, the, the upside the, down, the demogorgon thing. Yeah, but you know, like it's but not the that lights level. flicker. They they affect lights too, which is weird. I, I guess they have some. I don't know. Electromagnetic. It lets us know. Uh, it lets us know without hearing anything. It keeps the silence of the film. Mm-hmm. It lets us know that they are coming without. <laughs> of but course, they there's didn't the, there's really the make any noise. No, there's the clicking. No, and no stuff. but them. The oh. family hasn't really made any noise. Well, but the, are the, they intelligent? The Hold on. Well, are they intelligent them. enough to know that these people are still around and that they know where to look? Well, I mean. I think they've made enough noise and they followed, they could follow the truck. And we know that if they hear the slightest thing, they'll come in and well, investigate. It's just one. It's this one. Right. That's right. Tormenting right. So the whole time. Right. Um, so it's down there with them. Yeah. And it also affects the CCTV monitors, which are turning into white noise and the, what the yeah, garbledy gook that, Mm-hmm. The static channels, you know. Right, and it attacks it. it yeah. Uh, we're, I mean, we're and really I love, backed again, up Again, I love really hearing, I mean, or in this case, not hearing anything when we get Reagan's perspective mm-hmm. of the silence. Um, and we kind of see her, Reagan, put the pieces together. Right. She sees written on the board, uh, what is the weakness? And right. she figures it out and she turns on her, her implant and the feedback starts again. And we max it out. Well, hold well, on. She, I mean, she gets it on and it, it kind of stuns it first, but then she realizes like this whole thing just kind of, it, it reminds me of the end of signs where they had the answer, the whole had time. the weakness the whole time they're trapped as a family in this room with the monsters and it's the daughters it's it's the well in signs it's the daughter's like uh, ocd about the water mm-hmm. and in this it's her disability and but it's almost because lee he finds he he's tampering with these cochlear implants they're mm-hmm. not normal implants they they wouldn't make a feedback sound i don't think no not not i'm sure they they have to be individually you know uh made or or adjusted to fit you know whatever frequencies you know interact with your brain or you know on an individual level but the mom 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 figures out what's happening she's figuring out She's gotcha. She's figuring yeah. out what happens too. Mm-hmm. 
and they max it out and it falls over it gets it freaks right. out and and mom turns her back to like share their moment of triumph for figured out the weakness for this for the monsters and uh she's i'm again she turned her back and i'm legit afraid for her and it's mm-hmm. just gonna be the kids and their baby brother she turns around at the nick of time and blasts the monster with the shotgun yeah i've been looking at the shotgun the whole time going out they know this thing isn't gonna work like but, and then and then the fact of the matter is is oh well it, it it does work okay well cool you know right but it needed to have that weakness but presented I, first but i think because it freaked out no it's face fl- mm. armored face flaps open up that's why it's able to be right killed right um a lot i see a lot of people saying that's a plot hole if the shotgun like why didn't the army work yeah well i well, think that it has to be the the feedback sound opens up its face plates which able it's now it's able to be killed yeah it's and, like a boss at a video game you have to hit the, <laughs> the armored points it, it is and and i i get the idea of questioning it's like going you don't really understand how the military works and what weapons they have and the kind of materials they use and also like, they're very noisy and not as fast as these things armor piercing things but yeah that's that's true but there's also drones and things like that like I, but you don't know how. I mean, there's only there's three in this little small area. So like, right? What's a, what's many, a swarm of them do? Right. How many of them are there? And and there's a lot of questions. See, the problem is, is I think when people bring up some of these plot holes, not all of them, because some of them are, are legitimate things. They're not so much plot holes as questions that need answers. Yeah. Um. And so, like. I, I get bent out of shape about plot holes as much as the next guy. And I think one of, I both, I have a love hate relationship with post apocalyptic films because I think almost none of them would happen in the way that they happen. Sure. Um, you know, and, and I just, I have trouble believing it, but I just have to kind of suspend the disbelief and grant the premise of we're in this world. These are the new rules that we're playing by. Let's enjoy a film. Or I think let's that's enjoy why the story. That's why the road is so good is it's just burned america and you don't really know anything yeah the road is so bleak like that that's a movie that doesn't have any rewatchability for me i'm talking about the book okay uh but anyway (laughs) so she looks at the monitors here come the other two and they're moving fast yeah and that's good though she gives this real you know what to do look cocks the shotgun and cut to black satisfying ending yes i don't need to see them kill another one twice i don't need the extra gore i know they do it um this is scream sequel to me i know there is going to be a sequel but i don't i mean i didn't think there would be at first and i was happy i was i was content i mean it's one. not the end of masters of the universe where skeletor pops out and goes i'll be back but it screams like we're gonna well we'll be back um i i mean i actually didn't think the so Abbots because they killed return they they killed John Krasinski and I didn't think that we would have that. That well, Emily Blunt can fully lead a cast by herself. Well, sure. I don't. I don't have a but problem a, with that. Apparently, we're getting but, a lot of flashback stuff too. Have you seen the trailer for the new one? Nope. 
and I almost don't want to. I want to go in completely unprimed and completely cold. No, wait, I take that back. I think I did see it. But it's been so long. Thing. I did see I did this, see something. This COVID movie world, like, I guess it was supposed to come out this year. I think, yeah, I think it's it's been pushed back to 2021. Yeah. Like everything else good. Yeah, unfortunate. <laughs> so uh, Black Widow, Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, we'll see what... Uh, if Dune gets pushed back in December, I don't know. Also, Dune. Bond. Bond comes out in November, I believe. If it gets pushed back, I don't know. I don't think we're getting any movies this year. Yeah. Um, so, Ian, what? Are, share some of your final thoughts on A Quiet Place. This, for a horror movie, this definitely makes you feel all kinds of emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's paced really well and the silence of the entire movie allows for a really amazing visual experience, not just, uh, you know, a lot of movie is so dialogue based. Like I also watched the social network recently where that movie is almost completely dialogue based. Mm-hmm. Um, and this just lets you chew up the details that they've, the painstaking details of all the stuff um, that they've been able to put together for this world building. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like such a powerful film for uh, the horror genre. For and sure. uh, much like our previous film, we talked about 20 days later, it has plenty to say. Right. Um, and uh, the parents entire identity is about protecting their children and um and lee's case even it's even if it means sacrificing yourself which is a christ-like metaphor yeah yeah so i think the acting is fantastic and uh i don't think i've ever seen a movie quite like this signs would be the other one Mm -hmm. um i think Signs sort of has a nostalgia factor. It's one of those movies that I always came, me and my friend would watch over and over again. Sure. And almost try to like recreate scenes (laughs) from just like in walking down the street, skateboarding, and would be like acting like walking like one of those long fingered aliens. But this one is, this movie's special. Uh, I mean, I had a terrible theater experience, but you had a great one. Right. So, I mean, amazing. It's probably the my favorite theater experience I've had. I'm in, in a like lot in of adulthood. Yeah, and I'm in a lot of horror movie circles online, like on Reddit. I don't, I don't talk as much on mm. those. I have, but I uh, I don't see anybody really talking about this. So I feel like this is really an underrated, underrated in the horror genre. And this movie is horror. These, these parents have to deal with the constant horror of losing their kids. Right. Or the possibility of losing their kids. And wow. But it's it's got a little more depth. It's than, it's a very than... personal, to, I think, to them. Mm-hmm. Emily, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski, mm-hmm. as they are married in real life and have kids together, that uh, this is, they're able to put a performance that is one of the best married couple performance as you will see in a in a well healthy married couple performances <laughs> that you'll see in a in a horror movie and while 
I have harped on it for some of the plot holes. You've tried to defend all the plot holes. Uh, I think, I think I forgive them because the story itself is good. I think it has something to say. And I think that the acting is so remarkable that I'm able to forgive the plot holes. Again, some of the plot holes, I think, could be covered by question, you know, as, as more as questions that need answering. But there are some, uh, you know, well, like, why don't they live by the river sort of thing? And that's kind of, well, maybe it is a stupid decision. It was a stupid decision that they made Bo travel in the back. But we know that they're human and not all, you know, <laughs> despite my, my uh, allegorical take on, on, the, the father figure being, you know, the father role being uh, having a, a Christ-like and divine sort of uh, metaphor, you know, they are not perfect people. They make mistakes and we, we, you know, we've seen that those mistakes have resulted in, you know, death and they've really done a lot of things to try to mitigate that. And it's really affected their, their, their parenting. And I think really that's more of what's happening with, um, uh, Lee and and Reagan's interaction, the father daughter interactions, you know, where he he wants to protect her because he is they were care they were too careless before, and it cost them one of their child's lives. So, you know, you know she's and he sees her deafness as a as a weakness that can potentially get her killed. Yeah. And, you know, he tries to to protect her and save her. And ultimately, though, it it's not her deafness that gets her killed. It, it ends up being the the solution to the problem. And we know that it really has has actually kept the family alive because they uh, they can be quiet. They know ASL. They can they can be quieter than the average family and be more functional um, with their their communication. I, I mean, as overall on this movie, I love it in that I, horror movies that are, have a rewatchability factor are great to me. I mean, that's really what I, I like. I like rewatching movies. I like Same. I like old old films that that I, I I like watching new movies too. But you know, it's more. I'm I'm not a I don't spend every weekend at the movie theater. I never. Well, none of never, us do anymore. <laughs> well, I never did. Um, when 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 we had that opportunity, and kind of one of those things of I, I wish I, I wish I'd spent more time at the theater. Um, now in this in this post COVID world, we're like looking at that. I mean, there was a point in our me and my wife's relationship in our marriage that we we stumbled upon movie pass when that was a thing and we were at the movies so much i mean i saw the last jedi way too many times and we uh she watched the greatest showman probably like six seven times with the movie pass it was no wonder yeah. they went under but <laughs> right but the, this and this film has that that level of rewatchability because it's got so much other things going on other than than the jump scares and and even like if you've the jump scares are such that like some of them still kind of get you sometimes mm -hmm. um 
but the it's so good in all of its its characterization and the interactions that the characters have with one another and it's got a message that's it's really actually kind of whole well not just kind of it's it's a wholesome message um that really appeals to you know in some ways tradition in some ways it's 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 an appeal to the um inherent goodness of family and quite frankly that's not something that we always get in in post-apocalyptic worlds we we see the the inherent use or or utility of community um but we we also see a lot of of um the, in the post-apocalyptic genres we see a lot of like uh, the depravity of man sort of thing going on. We see how evil humans can be in their capacity to do evil. And this movie doesn't focus on that at all. And well, it's I so, mean, we only, the only other person we see is the old guy. Yeah. And he's, he's given into despair, but he also um, puts them at risk. He does. Um, so sort like, of, yeah. And that's a, that's a depravity thing, but it really doesn't explore that very far. That's not the main focus of the film. And but, so for a post-apocalyptic film, it's refreshing in that it's touching on other themes and it's got a, a, a more hopeful, wholesome kind of a vibe to it, even though they're playing on all these other horrible things um, and, and real relatable inter-family problems. All right. Well, some quick notes I made. Um, I did a little bit of digging and a cochlear implant usually indicates that there's sensor sensory neural damage, hearing loss, which okay. means that the inner ear has sustained some sort of damage. Mm -hmm. Um, and that the cochlear implant translates vibration in the air into nerve impulses that the brain perceives as sound. Right. Which this, I don't think would normally create a feedback uh, yeah but because I, he's tampering with it that would that would normally right and i really i really don't know like the sci-fi level of of what we're getting and why it works and right. honestly well, i don't the, i don't care it's, are, the, it's the mcguffin but the the monsters affect the lights they affect electronics which right this is I, uh, this is fine. Well, they, they're getting feedback from the CCTV. Right. But I'm not, I'm saying that not that they are not, this is not a normal hearing aid. No. Um, this movie, we talked about dialogue, 25 lines. Huh. That's it. Oh man. John Krasinski is lazy when it comes to writing in the, he didn't write this. Oh, he didn't write this. <laughs> For some reason I thought he, he wrote it. No, too. no, no. Somebody, okay. they, they pitched it to him to direct. Okay. Uh, which he responded, I don't do horror movies. And then they were like, <laughs> well, let's explain to you what it's about. And he was like, all right, I'm in. Okay. And then I think the original mom was not his wife. I think, well, I think it was, they was trying to come up with casting and he, he kind of brought it to her. And well, she said, I think she suggested her friend. Mm -hmm. And then she read the part and she was like, no, 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 cast me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Which he never, I don't think he intended to ever direct her. Uh, 
No, I, I mean, I actually do work with my wife, and I know that that can be um, that can be a challenge sometimes. Movie, um, this movie was shot in 36 days. That's it. That's impressive. Yeah. And, and the level, I mean, I don't know how long pre-production was, because I imagine pre-production had to be considerably more um, with all the detail they put into some mm -hmm. of this stuff. But uh, that's that's really impressive for such a quality movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and a unique one too. Yeah, and having a, to, I, I think they had a ASL uh, director on mm -hmm. set to teach them ASL as they went. I don't think they learned everything, but like for the dialogue, they learned their stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, thirty six days. That's and that was a wrap. Uh, I did say earlier that the bridge was in New York. That bridge is actually. The Wallkill Valley Rail Trail Bridge in New Paltz, New York. Okay. So if you ever want to venture out there and do a... Well, it looks like beautiful country. So. Yeah. So uh, apparently movie theaters didn't... they Their concession sales suffered because of this movie. Because it, people... Wouldn't leave? Well, no, they were frowned... If you were crinkling your bag oh. <laughs> in this movie, you was, were you were getting the death stare. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Like or like digging in your popcorn. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine. I this is one of those my, try not to crinkle your bag. Oh gosh, that lady. <laughs> um this I can see that. This is one of those movies though that I think I'd have to finish the majority of the popcorn in, you know in the previews. Um, which yeah. my son is, that's another thing he hates. He's like, you have to save some for the whole movie, but he eats so slow and <laughs> one, one popcorn at a time. <laughs> yeah. Like he wants it throughout the whole movie. So, and yeah, but I could, I, I didn't, th I didn't think about that. Yeah. I didn't, I don't remember. I mean, we may have gotten something to drink, but I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know. Eating anything in this. We film. usually there's just buy stuff at Walgreens and put it in their purse <laughs> or shame, we, shame, shame, or, and just buy a Coke zero to share, or we don't get anything. Yeah. I mean, we usually go out to eat and then go to a movie. So anything else for a quiet place? I think that is it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the second one, but I probably would think of a lot more things to say on it, but for now, this has been the Cine Siblings Podcast. I'm Ian. And I'm James. Go watch a new movie. Or enjoy an old one. Hey, it's Ian. Since recording this episode, both Dune and the new James Bond film, No Time to Die, have been delayed until 2021, with Dune being released on October 1st, 2021, and Bond on April 2nd, 2021. As far as Wonder Woman 1984 goes, rumors swirled that it would go straight to streaming, but the director wants to stick to that Christmas Day release. Just thought I should fill y'all in on all the goings on with the films we talked about in this podcast. Until next time, peace out. Thanks for listening to the Cine Siblings Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cine Siblings Pod.